This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome everybody, great to have you with us. Boy, 2020 is going to be one for the record books, huh? Unbelievable. I guess it wasn't completely surprising that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has now died because she had been suffering from cancer for a while and she was 87 years old. But boy, it seems like the riots in the streets and the pandemic and all the chaos that we've seen politically speaking is just going to go up to 11 now. What is going on? Well, President Trump says we're going to have a nominee and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says we're going to put a vote to the Senate floor. So there it is. And people are pushing for this. Republicans and conservatives are saying, do it, Mr. President, because you know how the left is. The left wants power and power at all costs. And they are all in favor of rules until they want to break them. And then they argue against the rules or they argue that the rules don't apply to them. And then they will turn right around when a Republican is in power and argue the same thing they were for previously as being against now. It's absolutely typical of them, but it does not bode well for the country. So President Trump has now, according to multiple sources, narrowed down his list of potential nominees to four people, two of which are the front runner, considered to be the front runner, Amy Coney Barrett. And you remember Amy Coney Barrett, the Catholic woman who was put on the hot seat by Democrats before when she was being confirmed. And she is right now at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. They didn't like her Catholicism much. And ABC News, in recounting a little bit about Amy Coney Barrett, doesn't seem to really like her Catholicism very much either. I thought we didn't have a religious test. Listen to cut one. Less than 45 days out from Election Day, President Trump racing forward, urging Senate Republicans to fill the seat without delay. I think the process can go very, very fast. We've learned Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has already spoken to the president about the next steps, promising his nominee will receive a vote on the Senate floor. And the president is now narrowing down his choices, telling his supporters in North Carolina he will nominate a woman. I will be putting forth a nominee next week. It will be... Sources tell us three female judges are on his shortlist, with conservative judge Amy Coney Barrett emerging as an early frontrunner. In 2017, the devout Catholic was pressed by Democrats about her stance on Roe v. Wade during her confirmation hearing to serve on the federal bench. The dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern. It's never appropriate for a judge to impose that judge's personal convictions, whether they derive from faith or anywhere else on the law. Well, that's kind of an interesting thing. And I think that she is obviously, when I'm talking about Amy Coney Barrett, she obviously understands the role of the judiciary, which is to make sure that you are interpreting the law correctly, according to the Constitution. So what was it with Dianne Feinstein? These guys hate 
religious people, unless they're Muslims, they love Muslims, but they don't like Catholics and who are conservative anyway. If you're Biden and you're Catholic or you're Pelosi and you're Catholic and you're pro-abortion, you can pretty much be as Catholic as you want to be as long as you're on the side of Planned Parenthood. They don't really care. If you act like a progressive and you, you believe like a progressive, you can put a Catholic label on yourself and they don't care. But if Amy Coney Barrett comes along and she's pro-life, it's gloves off, baby. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how they really do a gloves off maneuver, though, in an age of COVID, because there won't be an in-person hearing, I would imagine. I don't know if it's going to be a Zoom hearing or maybe they'll socially distance just a few people. But how are you going to have any rabble rousing? How are you going to have any of these leftists storming the room if you have an age of COVID? Well, they'll figure out a way. People were wondering about this a little bit on social media. And I was thinking to myself, when have COVID restrictions ever stopped leftists from protesting? Have you seen any place in America where they wanted to protest? They're out there getting in diners faces in San Diego. That's the latest. They'll go out. They'll figure out a way to protest, but it'll be a little bit tougher than it was when Brett Kavanaugh was in the middle of his confirmation hearing. Now, Let's talk a little bit about the left. There's a lot to discuss here. We're going to try to get to all of it or as much of it as we possibly can. Nancy Pelosi, in this interview with former Clinton aide George Stephanopoulos over on ABC, had a very interesting thing to say when discussing the options for stopping the president from moving forward a nominee through the confirmation process prior to the election. Just just check this out. This is cut two. Some have mentioned the possibility, if they try to push through a nominee in a lame duck session, that, that you in this, the House could move to impeach President, President Trump or Attorney General Barr as a way of stalling and preventing the Senate from acting on this nomination. Well, we have our options. We have arrows in our quiver that I'm not about to discuss right now. So another impeachment. Where in the Constitution would you point in order to accuse President Trump of doing something unconstitutional by moving forward a nominee when America has voted for a Republican president and a Republican-controlled Senate? That's why this matters, because you have the same party in control of the White House and the Senate. It was not so in 2016. We had a lame duck, a truly lame duck president, Barack Obama, who was not running for re-election. So he was absolutely on his way out. That's not the case here. My goodness, when you have Amish buggy parades for Trump, forget the boat parades and some of these other parades we've seen around the country, they're having... Amish buggy parades for Trump. I mean, the enthusiasm for Trump is incredible. I'm not I'm not so sure he's going to be on his way out. I don't know if he'll be on his way out. It remains to be seen what actually goes down in the 2020 election. Anything is possible. But I'll tell you what we don't want to have. What we don't want to have is a potential for a 4-4 deadlock Supreme Court in the event that it is a contested result. And we already know from Hillary Clinton's own mouth that she has advised Joe Biden not to concede the election under any circumstances. By the way, just as an aside, if I were Joe Biden and I were all together thinking about all this stuff, I might be a little bit offended that that somebody who lost the election in 2016 is advising me not to concede. What, what are you saying? I'm going to lose Hillary? Are you going to say I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who's going to go forward and he, he's going to get beaten? That, that just sounds a little, I don't know, a little negative. Where's the love, baby? Come on. Come on, Hillary. Don't you love Joe Biden? At any rate, Senator Ted Cruz had a really good rant here talking a little bit about Ginsburg's empty seat and his thoughts. This is cut three. 
I think the court, we are one vote away from losing our fundamental constitutional liberties. And, and I believe that the president should next week nominate a successor to the court. And I think it is critical that the Senate takes up and, and confirms that successor before election day. There's going to be enormous pressure from the media. There's going to be enormous pressure from Democrats to delay filling this vacancy. But this election, this this nomination is why Donald Trump was elected. This confirmation is why the voters voted for a Republican majority in the Senate. And I'll tell you one reason in particular why I think it is tremendously important that not only does the nomination happen next week, but that the confirmation happened before Election Day. Because Democrats and Joe Biden have made clear they intend to challenge this election. They intend to fight the legitimacy of the election. As you know, Hillary Clinton has told Joe Biden, under no circumstances should you concede, you should challenge this election. And we cannot have Election Day come and go with a 4-4 court. A 4-4 court that is equally divided cannot decide anything. And I think we risk a constitutional crisis if we do not have a nine-justice Supreme Court, particularly when there is such a risk of a contested litigation and a contested election. Twenty years ago, I was part of the legal team that litigated Bush versus Gore and went to the Supreme Court. Thirty-seven days, the country did not know who the president was going to be. And if we had a 4-4 court, it could have dragged on for weeks and months. And so I think we have a responsibility, a responsibility to do our job. The president should nominate a principled constitutionalist with a proven record. And the Senate is going to take a lot of work to get it done before Election Day. But I think we should do our job. I could not agree more, Senator Cruz, because, you know, if the Democrats were in the same position, they would do it in about five nanoseconds. But they'll whine about it if the Republicans have the power. This is the time to do it. We may never get this chance again. We're going to come back a lot to come here on Janet Meffer today, right after this. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light gives his thoughts on the scourge of abortion. One of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slaughtered in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. And that's why Kevin Sorbo also supports preborn. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Will you join us in the cause for life? By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- Five six five twenty five sixty one. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, you talk about the dogma living loudly in somebody. It sure is living loudly in the left. I really believe these people are capable of just about anything. And all you need to do is not just look at what happened in the last several months of 2020, where we've been going through this pandemic and the tyranny from these government officials and the BLM protest, rah-rahing they're doing at the same time they're keeping churches closed. But go all the way back to Brett Kavanaugh. Are we ever going to be so dumb as to forget Brett Kavanaugh, what they put him through, what they put that family through? And they were vicious. I mean, people really, I hope that the RNC, in fact, will go back and pull some of the clips of people like Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, and some of these other Democrats who were just raging at Brett Kavanaugh. These people are not acting in good faith. It, it really causes us, I think, to have to pause a little bit and think about whether or not we're all true principled Americans anymore. And I'm not saying that people on the left are not Americans by citizenry or, or that they, I don't know, we'll leave it there. But if we're not on the same page when it comes to our own principles and ideals anymore, and you guys want to overthrow the government in some way, or at least infiltrate it and get your people elected so they can completely fundamentally transform America, what are we doing in the same boat here? We're we're rowing in different directions. There's no good faith on the left. You have Nancy Pelosi talking about another impeachment. This woman couldn't care less about this country. She dragged the entire thing through the mud back when we had the impeachment process with President Trump and there was no quid pro quo and there was no proof of any of it. And they put that the country through that. They didn't care. They were absolutely desperate to do anything to stop Donald Trump. And I will tell you that when President Trump says, when they're coming after me, they're coming after you. He's absolutely right. They are coming after you. And they're coming after me. And they're going onto private property now with some of these Antifa and BLM protesters. They're harassing diners in San Diego and other places, Washington, D.C. They're only going to ramp it up. And when I read some of these comments on social media from these leftists, they're openly threatening people. Maybe in not so many personal terms, but they're saying, we're going to burn it all down. We're going to burn it down to the ground. They're going to have to do it over our dead bodies, literally. What? Yeah, I think that was Reza Aslan who said that. The guy who ate brains on the documentary, remember that? People are saying these things. I guess when Madonna said back in the at the Women's March that we, we want to blow up the White House, that's eh, Madonna. Well, what do you say when somebody who was working for CNN says something like that? Eh, yawn. 
Who cares? At what point do people say things and you actually believe them? Now, they are trying to make a laughable case that it's done in bad faith if Trump moves forward and tries to get a nominee, you know, not only suggested and put forward as a name, but also getting that confirmation from the Senate quickly before the election. Why not? There's there's absolutely how in the world would you impeach over that? But then again, how in the world did you impeach over the Ukrainian phone call? I'm still trying to figure that one out because you have a deep state. That's why they want him out of power. They want every Republican out of power. They want your vote out of power. You know, they don't want you to be able to have a say in government. They want total control. Why would you let their threats of riots and their threats of burning everything to the ground deter you one single solitary moment for moving forward and saving the country from these people? So good for Donald Trump for not caving on this and good for Mitch McConnell and good for Lindsey Graham and good for Ted Cruz and good for all the other people who understand what's at stake here. It's unbelievable. Now, the packing the court is going to be an interesting thing. I want to get to that in a minute, because that's another thing that the left is talking about. We need to pack the court. They've talked about this before, expanding the number of Supreme Court justices. And I want to get to that, like I said, in a second. But I want to go back to what Senator Cruz had to say, because he explained, I think, in a very good way here, why it is that the president should go forward with this nomination based on what has happened previously. So listen to cut four. If you look at history, if you actually look at what the precedent is, this has happened 29 times, 29 times there has been a vacancy in a presidential election year. Now, presidents have made nominations all 29 times. That's what presidents do. If there's a vacancy, they make a nomination. What has the Senate done? And there's a big difference in the Senate with whether the Senate is of the same party of the president or a different party of the president. When the Senate has been of the same party of the president, a vacancy occurs in an election year, of the 29 times, those are 19 of them. Of those 19, the Senate has confirmed those nominees 17 times. So if the parties are the same, the Senate confirms the nominee. When the parties are different, that's happened 10 times. Merrick Garland was one of them. Of those 10, the Senate has confirmed the nominees only twice. And, and there's a reason for that. It's not just simply your party, my party. The reason is it's, it's a question of checks and balances. In order for a Supreme Court nomination to go forward, you have to have the president and the Senate. In this instance, the American people voted. They elected Donald Trump. A big part of the reason they elected Donald Trump is because of the Scalia vacancy and they wanted principled constitutionalists on the court. And a big part of the reason why we have a Republican majority elected in 2014, reelected in 2016, grown even larger in 2018, a major issue in each of those elections is the American people voted and said, we want constitutionalist judges. And so the president was elected to do this and the Senate was elected to confirm th- th- this nomination. Very good. Very good point, Senator Cruz. It's going to be very difficult for Chuck Schumer and company to be able to answer that with any honesty. Because... Why wouldn't you have a party that is controlling both the White House and the Senate move forward when they were elected by the American people? It's it's easy. There's no complication here other than the fact that we're getting threats. We're going to riot. Oh, really? Because we were so sure your rioting would stop if we would just go along with you. All right. That's the way it goes. When you're on the playground and you're being bullied by a bigger kid, if you just give me your lunch money, I'm not going to bully you anymore. Yeah, that always works. You don't cave to that sort of tactic. What are these people, three or maybe 10? 
it, it, it's ridiculous. And the fact that you have so many people who watch how their own party behaves and cheer it on shows you really the moral and spiritual condition of where we are as a nation. Back to the court packing, though, I want to get to this because this is a very important thing with these Democrats threatening to pack the court after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. And they don't want, as we've been discussing, they don't want a nominee to go forward that Trump has suggested. And they definitely don't want a confirmation. House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler actually put out on Twitter this. Congress would have to act and expanding the court would be the right place to start. Okay, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. No, no, no. Guess who was actually against the idea of packing the court when act about, asked about it in 2019? Oh, look, it was Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Listen to cut five. I have heard that there are some people on the Democratic side who would like to increase the number of judges. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. His plan was for every justice who stays on the court past the age of 70, the president would have authority to nominate another justice. If that plan had been effective, the court's number would have swelled immediately from 9 to 15, and the president would have six appointments to make. He mentioned before the court appearing partisan. Well, if anything would make the court appear partisan, it would be that one side saying, when we're in power, we're going to enlarge the number of judges so we will have more people who will vote the way we want them to. Oh, that's kind of inconvenient, isn't it? Because this is the same group of people who are touting the reported dying wishes of Justice Ginsburg regarding her seat and her desire to put it off until a new president is elected. So it's a little unclear whether or not she was even saying if Trump is reelected, he can go ahead and fill the seat. New president. (laughs) Wait for the liberal. Who knows if she actually ever said it? It was reported that she said it by her granddaughter I don't know her granddaughter, but it seems awfully, yeah, dying wish. Oh, AOC was all upset about this. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, this is so terrible. A slap in the face to a woman who is dying and, and you are going against her dying wishes. Okay. She's one person on the Supreme Court, and we don't really decide whether or not we are going to fill a Supreme Court seat based on the feelings of the previous person. I, This isn't how it works. It's just so over-emotional. The whole thing is over-emotional and irrational. So we're going to keep a very close eye on all this. And I think one of the best reasons, as William Jacobson points out at Legal Insurrection, is John Roberts. We, we, have to, we cannot allow... John Roberts to be our ace in the hole here. I mean, look what he did with Obamacare. Look what he did with these religious liberty lockdown cases. He's unreliable. Sometimes he's made good decisions and sometimes he's completely off the rails. And if we had a contested election in 2020 and Roberts were the one who was going to cast the vote, I mean, 4-4 deadlock is completely a possibility. And then the appeals court decision stands. So what happened? We, we have to have a ninth Supreme Court justice. So kudos to President Trump and the rest of the Republicans who understand what's at stake here. And I'm glad they're listening to us. It's nice. It's very nice. And I hope they do it quickly and via Zoom because that will be, you know, taking awesome advantage of a pandemic. <laughs> We're just going to do a very quick Zoom call with the Senate. Okay. Boom, 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 vote, 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 vote. Okay. Confirmed. Bye.
<laughs> maybe this pandemic has an upside after all. By the way, we just want to thank you guys for helping us out with our Heart for Lebanon campaign. As you know, we are trying to raise enough money to help 100 families who are in great need right now in Lebanon. You know about the gigantic explosion there in Beirut, and you have all these refugee families, most of whom are Muslims, coming in from the Syrian civil war into these camps in Lebanon. And Heart for Lebanon is a wonderful Christian ministry that's on the ground providing emergency supplies and food and Christian education for the kids and the gospel, giving these kids the gospel and their parents. And so many are coming to know the Lord. They really need your help right now. $58 will help one family. If you can help a family right now, here's the number to call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there is a banner to click over at JanetMefford.com. More to come. We'll be right back. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, I have to admit, one of the songs that always makes me tear up is Cinderella by Stephen Curtis Chapman. I'm sure you know this song. It's about watching his little girl grow up. And you might recall the chorus, I will dance with Cinderella. I don't want to miss even one song because all too soon the clock will strike midnight and she'll be gone. See, I'm going to cry already. There's an incredible bond, though, between father and daughter. But sometimes that relationship needs some help along the way. How can dads and daughters connect on a deeper level through heartfelt conversation? Well, my next guest knows how. She is Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield, licensed professional counselor, radio host, and founder of the ABBA Project, which is a group forum for dads with daughters from 13 to 30. And today we'll be talking about her book called Let's Talk Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. Michelle, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. Hi, Janet. It's an honor to join you today. Well, glad you're with us. This I really do get a little teary-eyed anytime I talk about dads and daughters. I'm very much a daddy's girl myself, Aww. and I've got a number of daughters, and they love their daddy. Why is this relationship, do you think, so important? Oh, my goodness. So many reasons, right? I'm sure you could weigh on this as well, weigh in on this. But let's just start with the fact that most of us have the same last name as our dad. So there's something about our identity who we are, our name, right, that ties to our dad. Then let's just look at the research that shows over and over, repeatedly it's confirmed in the research, that every area of a daughter's life is better when she feels connected. There's the key. It's a feeling of connection to her dad. Do you want me to just list a few of those? Yeah, do it. I love it. Okay. So dads that love research, they're like, just give me the facts, (laughs) ma'am. Here they are. So daughters do better in school. They get better grades. They're more likely to finish high school and attend college. They have greater self-esteem, less suicide attempts, less body dissatisfaction, Hmm. and healthier weight. I mean, I'm not even done. This is all just because of a bond, a connection between a daughter and 
between the daughter and her dad. Okay, let me keep going. She will delay having premarital sex, which means decreases in teen pregnancy. I mean, Janet, who would have ever thought that a connection between a dad and a daughter would work as a contraceptive? Yeah, right. Come on. Right. So daughters, again, continuing this list, they're more likely to find steady employment and hold it. Okay, that's significant, right? Because there's more confidence, usually in a daughter who has a connection to her dad. She'll stand out among her peers. Again, more. Uh, another significant thing is, you know, more, like I said earlier, self-esteem and less depression, lower rates of substance use. And one more I'll mention among the many is she will have more pro-social empathy. So there's something in the heart space of a daughter when she feels connected to her dad that she gives out of the overflow of that bond. So how's that for proof? That is great. That relationship matters. That is a great list. And I know we've had a lot more conversations in the last several years, at least doing a talk show on the importance of fathers to the home in general and the importance of fathers for sons. But this one is very intriguing because part of the reason is something that you touch on in the book. There is a difference, a substantive difference between male and female. So when you have that opposite sex relationship, and I I think every daughter could talk about this, there is a way sometimes that you will relate to your mom when you're talking to your mom that doesn't work quite the same way as when you're talking to your dad because of the propensity that men have for wanting to fix problems when when women want to just talk. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because that is a really important thing that you discuss in the book. Absolutely. In fact, my new husband, so you heard my new name on there, Canfield at the end. So I just got married, Janet, at the age of 60. Congratulations. Wow. Crazy. And God in his providence led me to marry, his name is Dr. Ken Canfield, and he started the National Center for Fathering. And his wife went to heaven last year and surprised both of us with this partnership. But what Ken just told me, he he said, Michelle, I think you could call this book, Let's Talk and Listen. Hmm. Because he said, really, this listening piece that you address is as important, if not more important than the talking part. And I said, exactly. That's exactly right. Because dad, when you bring your male energy, your male presence that a daughter needs, she needs that kind of interaction from you in order to know how to relate to men in the world, whether it's a future husband, that kind of thing. And so, Dad, when you give your daughter the gift of listening to her, you actually esteem her because you're giving her the message that she's worth listening to. (laughs) And what I tell dads a lot, you know, in the last decade, I've been coaching dads of daughters, as I say, if you don't tell your daughter what you think of her, not just what you think, but what you think of her, and build her up, esteem her, every other voice will outrank yours. And she needs to know where you're at with her at a heart level. And I think that's one of the things going back to the last verse of the whole Old Testament, where God says, if the hearts of fathers don't turn, isn't that interesting? The question is, what does a heart turn look like? Not just a head turn, because as daughters, and I'm sure you can speak to this probably as, as well as I can as a daughter yourself, right? Yes. As one who's birthed daughters, yes. that you watch something happen in a daughter when her dad shows up. Yep. It's like our eyes light up. Daddy, when we're little, do you see me as beautiful? Like you said in the Cinderella song. Yeah. But even as adult women, we still want to be that sparkle yes. in our dad's eyes. And so dads, you matter. And no matter the message you've gotten from the media or television, or in your home, or your family of origin. Janet, I, 
Janet and I are standing here as allies saying, you matter, your presence is, is significant to the development of a healthy daughter, and we just want to esteem you and encourage you and applaud you today not to give up pursuing her heart, no matter the message she ever gives you that you don't matter. Well, yes, you do. Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. And yet you do run into challenges, I know, when you're trying to bring dads and daughters together because this is a fallen world and there are relationships between dads and daughters that don't work so well. Where do you begin in trying to bring dads and daughters together when you are working with them? Mm-hmm. That's, in fact, I've had that come up in my counseling office this week, actually, oh, wow. where I'm looking at this dad. I'm sitting with a mom and a dad with their 17-year-old And I said, as I hear this, she's opening up to mom a lot about boys, about body image, about weight. But I said, Dad, it's time for you to kick it up a notch. And he goes, but she's pushing me away. Hmm. I said, welcome to that stage of life. Right. This is common for 17-year-olds. And I really encouraged him, as I'm encouraging dads who are listening, to let your daughter push back on you because those muscles, if you will, that she uses in relationship to you are going to help her outside your home to push back against influences in the world, right? Mm. So that that isn't just a bad thing. But sometimes I've observed that dads, tell me what you think of this, Janet, would sometimes rather do nothing than do it wrong. Oh, yes. Yes. Right. Yes. So they go, okay, I'm making it worse. Yeah. And men are smart enough to say, you know, I think I'm going to back off. I'm going to let mom go in. And it's like, okay, this isn't an either or. It's got to be both and. That's right. Dad, so to enter into your daughter's life and sometimes just give her the grace that this is hormonal. You know, her brain and her body are changing at at these different stages of life. And she'll grow through it. And how do you maintain the, the relationship in the middle of that rather than just being kind of absent for those maybe rough years? And so that's why I wrote this book, Janet, with 60 scripts that dads can use with words right in front of them to open up conversations with their daughters on all kinds of topics, fun, lighthearted ones, all the way to heavy ones about suicide and depression and body image and sexual harassment and same you know, even same-sex attraction, whatever. You know, Dad, if you have the script in front of you, you can't do it wrong. Because right. if your daughter hates the question, just blame me and I'll be your fall guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. This lady gave it to me. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Exactly. But, you know, this is what, when you talk about the fact that men would rather do nothing than do something wrong, that in and of itself is a male perspective, which is why that gap, I think, needs to be bridged, just as you're doing in this book, to explain to dads what's going through your daughter's mind. Because we definitely do not think in that way when it goes back to the issue of, Dad, I don't necessarily want a solution. Sometimes I just want your sympathy. Sometimes I just want your ear and I need to be able to interact and have you not zone out and have you care about it. I want to get into more on this. We do need to pause for a very quick break. We're going to do it when we come back with Dr. Michelle Watson-Canfield, author of Let's Talk, Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. Stay with us. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today.
For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the south and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing a emergency supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Shana was one of those kids who had never heard about Jesus until God used Heart for Lebanon to give her the good news of eternal life. When she was given the assignment in Heart for Lebanon's educational program to write about a defining moment in her life, Shana chose to write this. We were in Syria, and we knew nothing about Christ the Lord. When we came to Lebanon, I joined Heart for Lebanon School. It is there where I got to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and that whosoever worships Him will have eternal life. Shana had that opportunity to hear about Jesus because people just like you were willing to support the work of Heart for Lebanon, but they can't do it without your help. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-247-5499. 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, that number to call, 888-247-5499. A gift of $58. helps one family right now. Call 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield. So good to have her here. She's a licensed professional counselor, radio host and founder of the ABBA Project and also author of the book we're discussing called Let's Talk Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters. Such an important relationship that dads have with their daughters. It's not the same as it is with moms and daughters. And this is why it's so important for that bond to be strengthened. And Michelle, we were talking before we went to the break about sometimes dads would rather do nothing than do it wrong. And yet you've come up with these scripts that dads can use for having these conversations with their daughters. What are some of the things that you advise dads to try to do? You mentioned having a teenage daughter, for example, and that can be a really strange time of life and difficult Mm -hmm. to navigate. But how would you advise, let's take that as an example, how would you advise a dad to try to bond with his teenage daughter who may be a little crabby at times, but still needs that interaction? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I encourage dads to to back off, right, kind of kind of get a bigger zoom, if you will, kind of a, a larger picture to say she won't be here forever. Just remember that. This is a stage of life, just like when she went through what some people call the terrible twos, yes. right? You know that age and that stage isn't going to last forever. And sometimes when it's really hard, dads forget that. Another thing that can help dads is to ask another woman in your life about your daughter. Hmm. What do you, an aunt, a wife, an ex-wife, a, a co-worker, ask another woman, hey, you've been there, what do you think she needs? And that's really what I sought to do in the book, kind of like I'm pulling up a chair next to dads saying, you know, some of this stuff is normal. She's going to grow out of it or through it. How can you maintain the relationship in the middle of it? And what I always say is that when we as women open our mouths, our heart opens. Yes. Like when women stop talking, their heart's closed, right? True. 
So then when a daughter's heart is open, her dad's heart is open. So the, it really comes back to how do you get her talking? So dad, a practical way that you could, with whatever age your daughter is, get the conversation started is ask her on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the most, zero being the least, what number would you give to say how close you think we are? Mm. And then follow that up with, what could I do to be a better dad to you? Wow. Like, let your daughter tell you what she needs, because they really all, you know, as you know, all your daughters aren't the same. No. They don't come with a playbook, and I always say, I'm going to help you write one. And so as you have a pen in hand during these dad-daughter dates, I encourage dads to take each daughter out at least once a month, find your special place you love to go. Even in the middle of quarantine and social distancing, you can find a restaurant or a coffee place that you love to go to, and then use these scripts to get to know her better and write down her answers. It'll become like a time capsule that you'll have for years to come as you get to hear her tell you what she's thinking, what she's needing, what she's feeling, what she's afraid of, and you can partner with her in helping her become more confident in who she is. That's really good. Do you find a common ground with a lot of daughters on what they do want from their dads, especially ones who might feel estranged? Is there kind of a commonality there where they give the same answer, what I really want from my dad is X? Well, I would. that's a great question because I, I would say the common thing I hear is that daughters say, my dad doesn't really listen to me. Hmm. He just lectures me or he's always disappointed in me. Daughters hate that. They're going to back off. That's a lot of times where the estrangement has come. Even this week, I've heard about dad's anger more than once hmm. that a, a daughter in, in this was a counseling session who's 15 said, I, I'm so tired of him getting mad at me all the time, and so then she doesn't want to, in a divorce situation, spend as much time with dad. Mm-hmm. So I tell, I, I tell dads, here's a practical way to deal with your anger. How do you drop the anger? Is that, you know how when kids are little, you give them a timeout based on how old they are? Mm-hmm. You know, you're three years old, you get a three-minute timeout. So I'm saying, Dad, if you're 50 years old, give yourself a 50-minute timeout when you know you're getting heated. Mm-hmm. Go around the block, get in the car, and tell her, I'm going to clear my head, I'm going to be back, and then have the conversation so that you can calm down what we call that midbrain, where you have your emotional centers and you get heated, and then that frontal lobe where you think and have good judgment and reasoning, it goes offline. Well, that happens for all of us. So, Dad, take care of your own anger first. Come back so that you can lead your daughter and connect at a heart level because your daughter wants that from you, for you to be proud of her, for you to delight in her. So the ways you can do that is you got to take care of yourself first because your daughter needs that from you. That's really good. Really good advice. What about the flip side? When you're counseling daughters on how to have a better relationship with their dads, what mm-hmm. sorts of things do daughters need to understand about men and particularly about their fathers? Because this is obviously a two-way street on some level. Absolutely. So sometimes it's, it's helping a daughter understand that your dad's reaction, if it's an 8, 9, or 10 on a 0 to 10 scale, it's his old stuff, I always say. It's not about you. So if he's had a bad day at work and he comes home with a short fuse, you internalize his, his reaction as being something wrong with you. Mm. But the truth is, your dad, right, he's human too. He's got his own stuff. Yeah. And if you can remember that if you would 
gauge that. That was a big nine. You know what, hon? That wasn't about you. So give your dad space. But I, I don't know if you would say this with your dad, Janet, but would you say there's any truth to that idea of a daughter internalizing her dad's view of her? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I had, I still do have such a, a great relationship with my dad. He really is a great, great man. And I've not had any problems or estrangement or anything from him my entire life. But oh, yeah, for sure. And, and also, I think when you have different personalities, when you have a dad, my dad is an engineer, so he's very, very mm. facts oriented and solution oriented and all the rest. And I tend not to be so much that way. Th- there is a I'm lot like of like you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there has to be that kind of understanding. But you're right. You're right. There may be something else going on with dad because he's acting this way rather than that way. And yeah, especially as you get older as a daughter, you do see that more. I think a lot of this, too, is maturity on the daughter's part. You see a lot more when you get older than you probably did when you were 17 about your father. Exactly. And the thing I would also say to dads is sometimes men, and and this is maybe offensive, what I'm going to say next to some men listening, but I have experienced this in my family, even with my dad, who's still living as well, that sometimes it's harder for men to come and say they're sorry, will you forgive me? Yes. And again, I know it's hard for women too, but dad's listening. If you've hurt your daughter's heart and you really know you did something that you regret, go make amends. Because humility goes a long way to rebuilding a bridge if there's estrangement. And I'm all about giving dads really practical ways to engage their daughter's heart. So if you're a dad listening who has estrangement with your daughter, because, Jenna, I would say that probably 75% of the emails I get from men across the country are about the fact that they're estranged from their daughters and don't know what to do. Really? And so I say, Dad, if your daughter doesn't feel safe being with you because you've maybe hurt her in a way that you think is legitimate, but she's, you know, really wanting distance from you. An idea that I have is go get a journal and begin to use it where you write in it to her in hope and belief that God will one day restore that relationship. And you put the date, you put what you're praying for her, what you dream for her, what you wish you could tell her, what you remember back when it was better between you. And then when the relationship is restored, can you imagine, Janet, the power of dad giving his daughter that book and saying, see, you were never far from my heart, no matter what it might have looked like. Yeah. And love goes a long way. I mean, that's such an understatement. But even if you are having some difficulties with a relationship, your dad loves you. You love your dad. I mean, it seems like if if you will focus on that as your overarching theme, if both parties want to come together, that's half the battle right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I would imagine that mom could play a role, right, in trying to facilitate if there really is an estrangement. Have you found that to be something you've dealt with in your counseling? Absolutely. In fact, we as women have more power than we may sometimes realize, right, to either make comments against dad, especially in a divorce. So then the daughter ends up, right, wanting or being forced to choose where her loyalty lies. Mm. So women, even if you're in a situation where dad really hasn't stepped up, watch your own mouth, right? Because, again, your daughter will internalize her dad's view of her. So if he isn't spending time or is moved on or is really busy, watch what you say 
that might be negative about her dad because, right, she has his DNA. So part of her identity is still tied to her dad, whether or not he's in the picture. But I think another thing is women buy this book for your sons, for your grandsons, depending on your age. We as women can help facilitate strengthening the dad-daughter bond. So get the book for them. Very good. Well, it's called Let's Talk Conversation Starters for Dads and Daughters, a really helpful resource from Dr. Michelle Watson Canfield. Michelle, it went so fast, but it was great to have you. Thank you very, very much for being here. Oh, it was a joy to be with you today, Janet. Thank you so much. Oh, you bet. God bless you. And thanks again for all your wisdom. And thank you for joining us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time.